Okay, so we are in week two of a study on uh, meditation, meditating on God's Word. And we're using a resource from Tim Keller to kind of guide us called uh, Praying Through the Psalms. And this is sort of part two this morning uh, that we're going to begin to look at Psalm chapter two. Last week we looked at Psalm chapter one and began to look at this idea of meditation. And the aim of our study at the top, uh, there's three headings under introduction. We want to address this idea of what is meditation. Meditation is one of those words that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people, especially in our culture today where there's an emphasis on uh, kind of emotional health and psychological health and meditating and slowing down, uh, good things. But what do we mean when we are describing biblical meditation? So we're going to talk about that. That's one of the aims of the study. We looked at that a little bit last week. And then the second idea is what is the ultimate aim or focus of biblical meditation? So we want to ask the question, uh, what are we, where are we headed? Where is meditation supposed to take us ultimately? And then the third part of our study is what are some tools to guide us in meditating on Scripture? How do we do that? How do we begin to med- meditate on Scripture uh, in, a, in a healthy way, in a way that takes us to the ultimate focus? So we're going to talk about that, kind of the tools and how to do it starting not next week. Next week is our congregational meeting, or our family time meeting, which is at the first of the month. And so the week after that, which would be, I think, November 12th, we'll, um, we'll hop back into this study and, and finish it out by talking about tools for meditating on Scripture. Last week, we uh, started off by looking at kind of this fun Hebrew word, Haggah. And the word means to meditate. Uh, and so the word Haggah in Hebrew means to murmur or to mutter to oneself in pleasure or anger. Uh, the implications are to ponder, imagine, meditate, mourn, mutter, or roar over. And so we looked at this passage in Isaiah where there is a lion meditating on or he is haggahing over its prey. And so we get this distinct visual picture that haggah and meditate means to savor or to enjoy or to um, to devour and and kind of slowly murmur and enjoy. And so if you take that visual picture and then apply it to Psalm chapter 1, which is what we dove into, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates, or Haggah, day and night. Uh, There's some interesting things that come out of that in terms of implications for us as the people of God. And we listed some of these last week as we began to study and talk that this is a lifetime journey, that this takes time. We're, we're meant to ruminate and enjoy God's Word. There's a routine to it. It's a day and night, just like Israel in the wilderness was giving, given a manna provision in the morning and quail in the evening. Uh, the author of uh, Psalm 1 says we're to meditate day and night. We, we talked about how this leads to a transformation, that it happens, uh, that it's a relational thing. It's... it's uh, we're enjoying relationship with God and that we have to keep coming back to it. Just like if you have a dog who's meditating uh, on a bone or um, devouring it, he keeps coming back to it. Sometimes he leaves it. We do the same thing and this happens in um, community. So those were some of the things that we talked about. And one of your assignments last week 
was to designate a day in your week or a time period in your week where you could set aside some time with Scripture to do that. How did that go for you? Did anybody give that a shot this week? Uh, Did anybody give some deliberate time uh, to doing that? And what was it like? Would anybody be so bold? Usually, I will have a daily Bible reading plan. But this particular week, I tried to set aside at least two to three days where I could really sort of dive in and enjoy it. And what I found is that when I have time to linger on the words, I'm not in such a hurry and I can really begin to allow Scripture to sift my heart. And I can begin to uh, have takeaways that I might not otherwise have seen when I'm in a hurry. Words begin to stand out that might not have stood out to me before. So there's all sorts of benefits that begin to happen. Um, And so, anybody? Last shot? Okay. I want to keep encouraging you to keep working on this and to think about, practically speaking, what what does it look like when I spend time meditating on Scripture rather than just kind of breezing through it or reading it? We talked about Psalm 1 being a meditation on this spiritual discipline of meditation. In other words, um, Psalm 1 is an introduction into the book of Psalms because it's telling us the benefits of meditating. It's not so much a prayer. Psalm 1 is not so much a prayer as it is a meditation on the benefits of meditating and what, how we're supposed to approach it. And so the, the word picture that's given uh, in Psalm 1 is this tree that's planted by streams of water. And so if you think about if you've ever gone camping or if you've ever been next to a stream or a river and you see these trees that are uh, so strong and you see sometimes even their roots are so well nourished that they can come out of the ground because they're right next to this, this river. So they're continually fed. And because they're continually fed, then they are nourished in season and out of season, able to produce fruit uh, in season and out of season. And so one of the things that we talked about in Psalm 1, as we begin to summarize, what are we learning about meditation? What is meditation? We said that meditation on Scripture is pondering, relishing, imagining, applying, and rehearsing God's truth until it becomes real to your heart and permanently affects your attitude and behavior. So when we do this, what does it lead to? Well, Psalm 1 tells us it leads to a blessedness. Now, blessed in the Hebrew means more than just being happy. But blessedness is sort of this fullness of life. It's this this total way of peace, a fullness of peace and well-being. It's this enormous promise that Psalm 1 is making. As we plant our roots into Scripture, there is this blessedness that's offered in verse 1. You see that on your uh, handout, what verse 1 says. Blessed is the man who meditates on God's law day and night. And then if you look at uh, verses 3 and 4, you can see that there's this promise of stability. That's the picture of the tree. And this ability to grow in all circumstances. Um, it, It produces fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. 
verses 1 and 2, there's this freedom and independence from the world's ways. And then verses 5 and 6, we have this confident assurance in our relationship to God. For it says, the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So what we're learning about what is meditation, which is our first question, is this idea that I am to spend time pondering, relishing, imagining, applying, and rehearsing God's truth until it becomes real to my heart. And that leads to a blessedness, a stability, a freedom, assurance, and uh, confidence in my relationship with God. Let me ask you this. There, um, what does it mean when um, the study or Tim Keller tells us that part of what meditation means is that we are to do some imagining? What does that mean, do you think, to imagine? Use our imagination when it comes to studying God's Word. Any thoughts? Yeah. What, um, oh, did you have a thought? No. Oh, you do? Okay. I, I couldn't tell. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's great. Can we meditate on other things besides Scripture? Of course we can. So what are things that you meditate on other than Scripture? Pre-game outlooks. <laughs> what do you mean by pre-game outlooks? Okay. Yeah. What happens as you meditate? Um, what what uh, what does your imagination do as you're meditating on the pregame focus? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's good. Hey, when we're meditating on things, um, things begin to happen inside of us. I want you to think about that question. We're going to come back to it in a little bit, but I want you to think about what are some things that I meditate on and what does it do in terms of my emotions, my thoughts, my feelings throughout my day, throughout my week. Okay, so um, our focus in this study is the law of the Lord. 
We can meditate on a lot of things, but what we're talking about in this particular study is what does it mean to meditate on the Word of God? And part of what we're just asking in this question about imagination is we're trying to say, as I look at the truth of God's Word, one of the important questions is to ask, if I believe and trust in this truth that God has given me, how will that begin to affect my life? How might my life be different in light of this truth um, that God is showing me in His Word? So that's another benefit of spending time in meditation. Taking time to Haggah, rather than just cruising through your daily Bible reading plan, building in time to meditate allows us to ask that question. If this truth were alive in me right now, if I were trusting in it, how does it make me different? But the other awesome thing about meditating on scripture is that we aren't just aiming at God but we find that he is aiming at us with his words and so one of the insightful things that Eugene Peterson says is the word Torah which is where we get God's word Torah it means there it comes from a word that means to throw something to hit its mark as in a javelin which means that God's word is not just something that we're trying to figure out, like an exam or a textbook. We're not just trying to use our head. But actually what we're realizing is that God's Word is like a javelin. It's energies, Eugene Peterson says, that are being hurled at our heart. So as you begin to seek God, what you realize is that He has been seeking you. That His Word is a probing word, a seeking word. A wor- words that are meant to penetrate, wound, remove, heal, and infuse us. I love those ideas. Penetrate, wound, remove, heal, and infuse us. They are living and active words focused on my heart. Now, why would we say that God's word is meant to penetrate and wound us? Why would that be something that God's word is intended to do to his people that it's meant to actually wound us a little bit penetrate reveal why is that important that god god's word does that leads to change yeah yeah and what needs to change That's right. So that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at this morning that our initial focus is when we talk, if you look at the question at the top of the page, what is the ultimate aim or focus of biblical meditation? We're going to say the initial focus is the truth within God's word. And our ultimate focus is Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate focus. And why are we saying that? The reason that we're saying that is because in John chapter 1, John does such a great job bringing this truth to the surface. In John chapter 1, he says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then in John 7, he says, out of, if anyone believes in, in me, Jesus says, if anyone believes in me, then out of the, his heart there will be streams of living water flowing deep from within him 
I want you to think about that picture as it relates to the, the tree being planted by streams of water and the fruitfulness and strength of that tree. Jesus is grabbing all these Old Testament metaphors and images and he's beginning to apply them to himself. And then in John 15, he says, I am the vine. If anyone abides in me, then he will bear much fruit if my words abide in him. So he is the one that is rooted in God, in God's truth. He is God's truth, John 1. And then as we connect to him and believe and put our trust in him, John 7 says that this, these waters create this energy in our own life that overflows deep from within. And so our initial focus in meditation is the word of God, the truth of God's word. And we start there. One of the, um, one of my, one of the passages that I just really think captures this is Proverbs chapter 2. And Dwight, if you remember, I asked you to read this last week. I said, open up to Proverbs 2. I'll point to you. And then I never came back to you. So I apologize. Uh, but in Proverbs chapter 2, just think about how all of what we're saying is sort of being captured in Proverbs chapter 2. It says, uh, my son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, Turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. And if you call out for insight, if you cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as for silver, search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and you will find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And so there's, these, uh, there's this revelation in the Old Testament that in the person of Jesus becomes more clear and more sure that we can grab a hold of and that begins to change us. Now I want us to dive into Psalm 2 with the, the remainder of our time and, and look at how does this begin to happen? How do the Scriptures and meditating on Scripture begin to point us to Jesus and take us to Jesus. And I think Psalm 2 um, shows us what that looks like. So um, Psalm 2, let's go back here. Psalm 2, if you look at your page, is a little bit of a contrasting picture to Psalm 1. And we see that kind of right away as we dive in to study this. And you look at Psalm 1 through 3, if you have a pen, I'd like you to circle on your piece of paper on your handout the nouns in Psalm 1, the man, he, okay, so Psalm 1 through 3, um, versus the nouns in Psalm 2, nations, peoples, kings, rulers. And what you see is that Psalm 1 is very individual in its focus. The main subject, the orientation, is individual. Individual renewal in one person. And then in Psalm 2, the nouns are nations, peoples, kings, rulers. It's plural. It's corporate. And then if you look at the verbs in Psalm 1, you see walk, meditate, um, sit, delight, 
delight in. And, and then if you look at the, na- the verbs in Psalm 2, verses 1 through 3, you see conspire, plot, take their stand, break the chains, throw off the fetters. And so what we're seeing is there's these two psalms that are meant to go together that are a doorway, a pathway into learning how to meditate on Scripture. And Psalm 1 is pointing us to this idea of individual renewal. And the verbs are quiet, they're reflective, they're peaceful, they're, we're meditating in this personal way. But the, the verbs in Psalm 2 are noisy, conspire, plot, break the chains. They're clamoring, they're noisy, they're violent. And so what Keller is telling us about these two psalms is that there are two things that are meant to happen. And this is what this slide says. Wisdom means having a fierce delight in the kingdom of God. Psalm 2 is as corporate a psalm emphasizing commitment to the spread of the kingdom of God as Psalm 1 is individual, emphasizing personal devotion. And so one of the ways that Psalm 1 and 2 teach us how to reach our ultimate destination in meditating on Scripture is they reveal to us a king and his kingdom. So when we approach God's Word, what is happening as we read His Scripture? We are being exposed to a king and his kingdom. And I want you to think about that every time that you're uh, going into God's Word. You know, when Jesus is resurrected, He meets with His disciples in Luke chapter, uh, gosh, I'm going to say, what is that, uh, 26? Uh, that, that could be wrong. could be 23. Luke 23, that's what it is. He gets His disciples together, and it says that He took time to point to them how throughout the Old Testament, all the law, Moses, the prophets, were pointing to Him how they were all summarized in him, that he was the focus and the subject of the Psalms. And so what Keller is saying is that by looking at Psalm 1 and 2, we are being invited to look at the king and his kingdom. And that's what all of Scripture is meant to do as we're meditating on it. But then secondly, we see that by meditating on the Scriptures, we are exposed to the kingdom of self. So not only are we exposed to the king and his kingdom, but we are also exposed to the kingdom of self. And so we see that in Psalm chapter 2, where it says the nations are plotting in vain. The word plot is also the word Hagah. It's the same as meditate in, in Psalm 1. So in Psalm 1, they're meditating on God's word. In Psalm 2, they're meditating on how to establish their own kingdom, one that would be apart from the great king. And they say in verse 3, let's break their chains. Let's throw off the fetters. In other words, as the king and the kingdom have reign in my heart, I believe that that would lead to a diminished life, not the full and complete and happy life that is promised in Psalm 1, but instead I can find life apart from the king and his kingdom. And so the nations, the peoples, the kings, the rulers, 
the voices of the world that we live in that get media attention and have rule and reign that we hear about, what is the constant undertow of the world? It's one that's saying, break free from God. A life of obedience to God in union with God is not one that would give you great freedom and joy, but instead it would chain you. It would cause you to feel like you have a lesser life, that you were a slave. And what God's Word is telling us is that's laughable, that the Lord scoffs at that idea. And so let's think about this in, um, as we come back to the idea of meditating in imagination. Uh, meditating refers to whatever our heart of heart does to any foundational principle or idea. Meditation refers to what your heart of heart does to any foundational principle or, or idea. So we talked about you can meditate on the pregame focus or ritual before the big game. Other things that you can meditate on. If you meditate on something like money, that uh, you are only as worthy or valuable uh, to the degree that you have financial security. How might you begin to meditate on that? Uh, What are some things that you might think below the surface as you're just kind of moving throughout life? What happens? Um in your heart of hearts. Give me some ideas. Money is now the main foundational principle and I am beginning to meditate on that. What does that look like? What does it look like for you? I'd be happier if I had more money. I begin to fantasize or dream about what I might buy if I had more money. What else? Yeah, there's some fear there, some worry, some anxiety that starts to creep in. I don't, uh, I don't, sometimes I think to myself, this isn't one for me. I just don't worry about money. And it's so silly. I can get in, uh, I was thinking about this the other day, driving my kids, dropping them off at school. And in this moment, as I was dropping my kids off for school in my, uh, 2009 minivan with scratches all over it, 260,000 miles. Uh, I was looking at the cars next to me. Audi, Jeep, you know, Lexus. And I'm like, what? I wish, I wish, I, I don't want to be seen right now with my beat up minivan with scratches all over it. I want a car like that. And um, I start to, started to worry about uh, the mileage on the cars that we have right now. And thinking, I don't really have a great plan for what's next. And, uh, and look at all these cars around me. And uh, I began to fantasize what it would look like if I that. I was worrying about it. And all of a sudden I realized, you know what? I'm not so removed from the fear of money as anybody else. I, too, am tempted with this to be a foundational principle. But here's the idea. Wherever I envy people with money, when I begin to compare my financial status with others, if I start worrying, dreaming, planning, scheming, this is meditation. This is exactly what we're doing. We are meditating on something and it's leading to things happening in our hearts. And what the world says is, no, 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 no. Connecting your meditation into the person of Christ and into God's truth really will not lead to any kind of freedom or joy. And yet, 
If we actually think about it, who's the slave? If we are meditating on things like money for our happiness and pursuing that, then I am a slave to that. And I'm a slave to whatever I meditate on that begins to draw my affections, my worries. It becomes my treasure, my ultimate focus. And here's the psalm saying, the psalmist saying, I want to expose you. What God's word is meant to do is to expose you to two kingdoms. The king and his kingdom, Christ's kingdom, and the kingdom of self. And to hold those up in front of you so that you begin to evaluate what's what. What is the ultimate end of this life and what is the ultimate end of this life? So do you realize and when you spend time in God's Word that it really is meant to penetrate and wound you and reveal to you some things about your life? And I want you to realize that's what's going to happen this morning in worship. We want that to happen. This is God's grace to us. God's grace to us that he would penetrate and wound and reveal because he actually wants freedom for us, freedom in him. So as Andrew preaches the sermon this morning, you should think about how is God's word convicting me and how is it putting its finger on things in my life and how is it giving me truth to meditate on, namely Jesus. And as I tie my life into him, how is there freedom and joy? To be experienced. And so God's word is meant to penetrate, wound, reveal. It's wounding us wherever we say money is the thing that I need for financial status. And if God leaves us in that, that's to our detriment. But if he wounds us there and provides a solution, that's for our healing. Okay, uh, we're going to close out because we got about two, three minutes. And what I want to show you is... Uh, the last part of this in Psalm 2 is, um, is Jesus. It's the King. It's showing us the solution. And so if you look at the last page, it says, how does meditating on God's Word lead us to Jesus? Well, the first thing that it does is it reveals our need. Okay? It points us to God's solution, and God's solution is Christ and his kingdom. Christ on the cross for his people. My need is I'm broken and I tend to run to the way of the world and try to put my roots down into something that cannot satisfy. When I meditate on God's word, he reveals that need, but he also points me to Christ, the king. That's what we see in Psalm uh, 2, 6 through 12. This is God's solution. The king installed on his holy hill. And then three, uh, it says, it invites us to respond in humble submission and trust. And so it says, kiss the king. Would you kiss the king? Would you receive him as a refuge? Anyone that runs to him as a refuge. Um, sorry. Uh, blessed are all who take refuge in him. Kiss the son. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. There's the invitation. And so um, there's so many beautiful things here. Uh, who is this king? What is he like? The, the picture of Zion being this, this small hill. It's not a majestic mountain. It's this small 
hill, it means that when the king comes, he doesn't come with flair or some glory that impresses the world. He comes with an upside down kingdom. He comes with humility. Zion was a holy hill because it was chosen by God. Not because it was majestic on its own or glorious because of its size, but Zion becomes holy or set apart because God chooses it. And that means that this king is all about grace. This is what we're learning about Jesus in Psalm 2. Zion was this hill where the temple was built and sacrifices were offered. And those sacrifices were pointing to the Lamb of God who would come to take away the sins of our world. So it's showing us how foolish it would be to distrust a God who actually comes to die for His people. If someone comes to die for you in love, why would we distrust that person? But God is saying, I'm willing to sacrifice and die for you. Who would be so foolish to reject that kind of love? And verse 7 says that He is the Son. Today I have become your Father. And so the Messiah will be the Son of God. And so um, all we're saying in this short little lesson, is that when we meditate on God's Word, three things are meant to happen. One, we're always supposed to see a need being revealed. A need that ultimately points us to the solution in Jesus and that we're given an opportunity to respond in submission and humble trust. And so this whole course has been about this idea of renewal and sanctification. That as we move towards Jesus in those three ways, bringing our need to Him as the solution, then we get renewal. And so meditation on God's Word as the initial focus, with the ultimate focus being Jesus, brings about renewal for God's people. So next week, or in two weeks when we get back together, we're going to talk about how do we begin to meditate on God's Word. And we're going to use Psalm 119 which is a great guide for it's long, it's, but it's rich. And there's so much in there about learning how to meditate on God's Word. So that's where we'll pick up. If you want to dive in, I've put some uh, studies over here. So this is a little bit more in-depth study on Psalm 2 if you want to pick it up and use it this week. Um, but with that, I'll close in prayer. It's 943. All right. Thank you guys for your attention this morning.